0: Excellent. I'm just going to put on.
1: Okay. Well, uh, good afternoon and welcome everybody to uh, our virtual Lunch and Learn. Uh, We've been at this for a few weeks now and uh, it's uh, uh, been overwhelming the amount of interest we've had in the uh, Lunch and Learns and really is a way to connect with people and keep our industry going at a time of uh, when when a lot of us are uh, locked down or shut down or as I like to say, staying uh, safe at home. Uh, it's been great that all of you could could join us. So uh, I'm Richard Rastusha, uh Vice President of Water Management Solutions for Jane Irrigation, and uh, I'm really happy to say we've got a great presenter again today, uh, and that is uh, Perry Contenente. And you know, you certainly get a feel for these uh, lunch and learns when you send out your invitations and. I was telling Perry, I, we sent out his invitation on uh, on Monday, and I think within 30 minutes we had 50 people signed up, and that, that's pretty popular. And 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 I think one of the main reasons why that is popular is you know Perry from his um, <clears throat> training for, with the uh, with the IA. I think they know him as somebody who uh, not only knows the. Uh, uh, Intellectual side of irrigation, but also uses it practically in growing and helping growers. And so as a result, he's got a, got a really big following. He's also got a degree uh, from Cal Poly and uh, and a fantastic reputation in the industry. So, uh, again, I'm really happy to have uh, Perry here today. And uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over
0: to Perry. Perry, good, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, everyone. And um, thank you, Richard. That was very kind. Um Anyway today we're going um uh, we're going discuss uh i mean I'm, ten design considerations for efficient drip system and uh so we'll get going here so it does seem a little bit um uh, you know i haven't done too much of this remotely, but uh, here we go yeah and Perry, I just want to
1: make mention that uh, you know you're gonna have some questions uh for for Perry during this chat and with as many people as we get on these, uh, it's uh, preferable that you type your questions into the uh, group chat and I'll feed those into Perry uh, either during or after the presentation. So.
0: Okay. Yeah, because I, I believe the questions will, will help because we're not gonna get too deep into any one subject because of the time limitations, of course. So anyway, um, the first and most important is to give the grower what they want. Um, I, I can't. I, I have to tell you that uh, I've made that mistake before. So even though you may give something, someone you may present something to someone that might be a better, uh, um, you might consider it to be better. If it's not what they want, you're going to have a problem. So anyway, that's a good thing to learn early on, early on in your career. So um, anyway, the the goal is to provide a uh, an application that will meet the peak ET. Or essentially the water crop requirement. And so the tools we have to give to uh, to the grower are uh, What's your distribution uniformity and what's your application rate? And once they know those two things they can they can intelligently um, uh, Irrigate their field Anyway, uh, so we're going to provide them with a high DU or an appropriate DU um i won't get too far into that other than to say that that as a general rule we target 0.9 or higher um, and and most people consider this to be like uh think of it as a percentage but in the uh, in the world of uh, irrigation association we refer to it as a decimal okay so anyway i think another um thing that's often uh, not addressed is a to provide a fertigation chemigation strategy or understand what their strategy is so that you could, they can apply it or have the tools to apply it through their system. Okay. So the, one of the first things we're going to do is we're going to talk about a few uh, definitions because people tend to uh, talk in, in, uh, and use terms. And if we don't all understand what those terms mean, then we're kind of talking past each other. Um, The two most important terms are things that we need to understand are emission uniformity and distribution uniformity. The takeaway here is with distribution uniformity. Essentially, it's just what it sounds like. How evenly are we applying the water over our field? Um, And and when we we look at irrigation efficiency, it's probably not a term that we should be using because if you look at the equation, if you under irrigate your field, you'll have 100% irrigation efficiency and it's really not what we want. Um, Application efficiency is used generally to uh, uh, to describe or um, the performance of a single irrigation event. So the takeaway here, by the way, emission uniformity, distribution uniformity are really the exact same thing. Only we tend to use the word emission uniformity when we talk about like say a single lateral um, and we say, okay, the, the emission uniformity of my single lateral might be uh, 0.92, and the distribution of uniformity of my uh, submain or the pressure variation in that submain is going to contribute to loss in DU. Um, so the emission uniformity of my submain versus the emission uniformity of my single lateral give me a global DU. So that's why so. Essentially, the, um, <clears throat> the definition is exactly the same. So for those out there who think that there's a difference, there isn't. Okay? Um, and I'll say one thing that you can go right now, you can go on to the uh, Jane website and you can use their uh, length of run calculator and they'll tell you what a single lateral um, emission uniformity will be. Or distrib- and so you can arrive at your distribution uniformity of your system if you take that into account so you can use it as a design tool actually okay So how to make sense of the design so now we're this is like a typical design this one was done by idc um you can see that there's uh um there's elevation and um, there's a whole list of of things that we need to understand. so this allows the the, the installers to install it, and it also tells the uh, irrigation uh the customer essentially what he's getting okay. so um what do we what do we gain from this or what do we what are we looking at? essentially um, we can understand you know what the site looks like. The topography is really important, of course, to the uh, designers, and um, we also, the, the other most important thing is the soil type, or understanding the soil texture, and this, this gives us an idea of how much we can expect the soil to hold in water, holding capacity, and also wetted area, and those are two very, very key things when it comes to um, irrigation design. Okay. So, Perry, excuse
1: me. Yeah, I just want to ask a question. You know, initially, I really liked what you said about listening to your customer, right? Delivering what your customer wants,
0: fact, and
1: uh, I, I'm sure that you've seen customers and the scale of their knowledge and what they want is all over the board, right? But, um, but, but, so how do you hone into that? How do you learn that about your customers?
0: Well, um, let me just give you an example of, of why I said that. Um, I once did a very, very small drip system for a customer who wanted sprinklers. And uh, he wanted sprinklers that 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 were like impact sprinklers. He wanted to wet the whole area, um, you know, and, and I sold him uh, micro sprinklers. Now, the system was perfectly good. It watered the trees beautifully. The trees showed no stress. It was great, but he hated it. And the reason he hated it was just because he couldn't see the water going all over. So, so essentially I had to change it back. I, I changed it back to what he wanted. Now, what he wanted wasn't necessarily bad. I mean, if it were really bad, I guess I would have, I would have uh, uh, tried harder to talk him out of it, but it was just different. Yeah. And so that was a, uh, uh, that was a lesson I learned early on. Yeah. Oh, so that, that's that. Now, if somebody wants to do something that's inappropriate, I, I have, um, I, I, I won't do it. Either I won't do it. I can I can either walk away from it, or um, you know, do an effective job of convincing them why it's not a good idea. And I have a slide later on that's going to show. I'm going to show you an inappropriate uh, emission device, and it's obvious. Yeah.
1: So there's some deal busters, but uh but there are some times that uh it, it is yeah. in mean, many times it's important to see your
0: customers. So that's a great story, thank you. Yeah, so you you, you do need to give people what they want. Yeah. <laughs> and and a lot of times, you know, people tend to gravitate towards appropriate technologies. And you know, if you're if you're um uh So you can look around and you can see that everybody else in the neighborhood is doing something, you know, look at your neighbors, uh, look at what your neighbor's doing and take that into account, you know, so there, there's a good, there is a good uh, um, reason to do that. Anyway. Yeah, great. Thank you. Okay. So now system flow rate requirements. This is probably one of the most important things we're going to do as designer is to make sure we give the, the customer of an adequate flow rate in order to meet the demand of the crop. Okay. And so, uh, so the first thing we do is we look at the water sources the groundwater so we come up with an appropriate, uh, for, uh, um, filtration, um, for him. But the most important thing we're going to do, I believe is to estimating the ET values and where do we find those. I mean, they tend to be very, um, like we know in the central Valley that, uh, uh, almonds uh we're we're going to make sure that we provide 0. 0.36 inches of water uh, of application rate to the grower in order for him to to be able to meet et at full mature on the worst possible case scenario and then from there it's up to the grower to uh to determine how much water to apply on a daily basis so essentially we're looking at when we down down lower on here Let's see if you can see this or not but uh, oh i guess i can put my cursor here this is gallons per minute of the crop so the so think of it as the the, the crop is actually transpiring off gallons per minute into the into the uh, atmosphere and that's et or evapotranspiration um so we need to replace it so we're going to come up with a gallons per minute to replace that et we're gonna add a little bit more because we're gonna replace it, not in 24 hours, but in 18 hours, and that's a rule of thumb. Um, it, allows us to, uh, um, it allows us to have uh, a little extra in case we need to. It also allows for the pump to break down, et cetera. And then we're gonna add some gallons per minute. I, I put gallons per minute twice there, which is wrong, but anyway, gallons per minute to overcome non-uniformity. So we have a distribution uniformity of our system and we're, so we're going to be able to uh, um, add a little bit more water to overcome that. And the other thing is that uh, drip systems tend to have less stress. So if you have less stress, you have more water that goes through the plant. So according to Cal Poly, how much more water? If you have a, a situation of no stress where you're irrigating a little bit every day or every other day, approximately 10 to 15% more water is going to go through that crop, mm. go through that plant. And the good news is, as a general rule, the more water we put through a plant, the more crop we get. Okay? And then we also have are we going to add the extra water? We have the extra water available to us when we, when we size the system to account for flushing as well as delivering water to the, uh, to the uh, crop. I'm a big fan of being able to flush and deliver all the water to the crop. We'll discuss that a little later. So we're gonna target the optimum DU. So the optimum DU is, it can be crop dependent, it can be area dependent, those kinds of things. But as a general rule, we're looking at 0.9 or better. And that seems to be about the sweet spot for cost of the system versus um, highest possible uh, DU or distribution uniformity. This is just a little, this is a little graph that shows you how much under-irrigation versus over-irrigation given the DU that you have. So, of course, 100% one is um, flat. So you're putting on exactly the same amount of water in all parts of the field, which is unrealistic and, and not possible at this point because of uh, the manufacturer's inability to uh, produce a perfect emission device, as well as friction losses, elevation, et cetera, et cetera. So we're gonna come up with some acceptable DU and it tends to be about 0.9 to actually 0.95, depending on the the system. And uh, this is just to show you that as you increase the, the distribution uniformity, depending on the crop, you'll get higher yields. And I think on the very top, it says tomatoes, but uh, I know that bell peppers are very sensitive to over-irrigation and under-irrigation. So um, as a general rule, I know a lot of bell pepper growers will use 5-H tape because they're concerned about drain-down as well as non-uniform, the non-uniform that comes with drain-down, shorter runs, et cetera, et cetera. And then tomatoes are very sensitive to over-irrigation, so higher DU is, is more preferable. Okay. Now this is a this is an obvious uh, um, this this is an obvious uh, um, non-uniformity where you really a drip system would really come in handy, right? I mean, you wouldn't have this uh, on the ends of the fields. Now, one thing to consider is that if you have a field like this that has poor drainage on the end, that just by putting a drip system in it. On the very next year you may still have issues with that area of the field because of uh, pathogens etc that, that develop over time but anyway this would be certainly there are lots of fields out there that could really benefit from from drip systems okay how does uh, how does du affect your crop well the higher du you have the less water it takes that you have to pump to overcome that non-uniformity, the less chemicals and fertilizers that you have to put in in order to overcome that non-uniformity, and energy savings. And I think that uh, um, the the best thing that we can do as designers is to give you a robust system, easy to operate, with a high distribution uniformity, with a chemical injection strategy, and that's very energy efficient. And energy efficiency as you'll see in a few slides coming up are is, is it's, it's really a consideration that we probably don't consider enough um, of course when we um, specify an emission device um, we do it in order to create a wetted area around the plant as a rule of thumb we're looking at about 60% wetted area of a plant now having um, having said that that means that we have an area for the plant has uh, some reservoir water to so under times of like uh, high water use, you have some reservoir available to you, broken pump, etc. And also just the structure of the plant. Like for instance, when a windstorm comes, if you have a very small wetted area, the plant's going to tend to occupy the wet. The, the root system is going to occupy that wetted area. In areas where we don't have uh, any supplemental water, like rain, etc., which is California and the West. Now, this is the picture I was talking about. In the picture: uh, the trees on the right are the same age as the trees on the left, and even though there are sprinklers there, you can see in the in the picture, those sprinklers aren't being used. There's something. There's two emitters per tree on the left. And on the right, irrigated with sprinklers, so the wetted area on the right is significantly more. It's it it truly um, it truly respects that 60 percent or 60 percent of the wetted area rule. And the emission devices on the left are what the um, the they call deep root irrigation. Has anybody heard of that? Anyway, the idea is that you put two um, point source emitters on a line and then put the uh, put it on this this device that goes in the ground and the idea is that it saved a lot of water well i can also tell you that it saved a lot of uh, yield uh you know harvesting costs because you can tell that you're not going to harvest very much on the left as you are on the right so anyway, uh, that's, that's pretty good, Perry. That's the, <laughs> you may want to save money, but that might be one area that you don't want to save money. In, that's, right? that's the, the one place you don't want, I mean, I, I get it. You want to save some money on, on water. Well, by just turning it off, you're not really saving water. I would argue they're wasting a lot of water on the left because you're not getting as much crop for the unit of water that you're applying. So even though it's less. Okay. So now we're going to go to the to the uh, pumping station, and uh, here we're going to appropriately size our filters. Um, we're going to appropriately choose our filters. What kind of filters do we want? We we uh, so we're going to we're going to probably confine our discussion to sand media filters yeah. because they tend to uh, be very popular here in California on the West Coast. But there are other choices that can be certainly can be made. Um, Pump protection. Always make sure that we have pump protection, and if we're going to have automation involved, which we have much much more of it now, um, one very popular way to protect a pump is with uh, a booster pump is with a pressure switch. But remember, it requires someone to be on site when you turn it on. So if you're doing an automation, if you if you want to turn on the pump remotely, you have to come up with a different plan for a pump protection. Okay. Okay, so here we're at the station, and now we're looking at uh, um, all the pressures that that were all the losses that we categorize. We've separated them out here so we understand how much flow we need at what pressure. Okay, so that's just a very simple idea here. Now, one thing, now, this is for dosing, or this is for the irrigation of this for irrigation. Now, what happens when we flush? We're going to need some more water and we're going to need some more pressure, aren't we? So, actually, we could we could put this we could present this differently if we wanted to, um, and say at worst, just during the flushing event we're going to require more pressure and more flow. Now, without a variable frequency drive pump, um, it's probably not practical to do it that way. So now let's just talk a little a little bit about energy. Now, take a look at this equation. Notice that on the top you see P and Q, which is pressure and flow. So what this tells me is that the kilowatt hours requirement is directly proportional to pressure and flow. So can I lower my flow? Not really, because I need to apply the water that the crop requires. The only way I can lower my flow rate is with better distribution uniformity, because now it's going to take less water to overcome non-uniformity. But how about the pressure part of it? If I can lower my pressure by 10%, I can save 10% of my energy. It's pretty much that simple.
1: So Perry, we we, we had a question about distribution uniformity and and it's this, uh, do you have a favorite method to uh, determine DU in a system uh, that, uh, that you've used for a while that's been effective?
0: Um, Essentially what we're targeting is, is we're going to, we're going to have a system that's going to have a variation in, in, in uh, flow rate that's, that will give us a distribution uniformity of 0. 0.9 or higher, and that's sort of the minimum required um, that we that that that's uh, reasonably uh, re- cost effective to provide to the grower. And generally, most crops are going to do well under that under those uh, situations. Now, if you if if we have something uh, like tomatoes or or uh, Tomatoes or bell peppers, we're gonna really shoot for that or higher. So maybe ninety-two percent, or excuse me, point nine two, or point nine four. You understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So now we're talking about energy. Um, so let's just assume that the cost of energy is twenty cents a kilowatt hour. I don't know what it is in your area, and you can you can go up or down. And we have a drip line that has a minimum pressure requirement of 10 PSI. Well, the cost to pump an acre foot at 10 PSI is $7 and 38 cents given we have a 20%, uh, 20 cents uh, per kilowatt hour. Now with a micro sprinkler, we might have a, a pressure, minimum pressure requirement of 30 PSI. Well, notice what the cost to pump an acre foot is at 30 PSI. And of course that, that reflects all the way back through the system. So you can expect um, this kind of ratio difference when you look at um, one emission device versus the other. Okay? So we're not going to talk about too much about variable frequency uh, drive pumps, but if someone were to ask me, how much could I save with a variable frequency drive versus the standard board, what would I tell them? My standard answer is somewhere between 10 and 15%. And why is that? The reason is, is because if we look at an irrigation design and the pressure requirements, and I'm going to order a pump with a standard force that's going to run at 60 hertz, um, I'm going to have to order it with 10 to 15% more pressure and flow than I, than I need, just to make sure that I have it. And with a variable frequency drive, I can I can still order the pump with the additional flow in it and pressure, but we can turn it down and take advantage of those savings. So that, that's, that's the bottom line for me. Yeah. Okay. So filter stations. So as a general rule, I like to, um, I like to provide for the flushing and the flow rate to the field so during the flushing event how much water does it take well it takes approximately um 200 gallons a minute to flush a 48 inch tank or 195 gallons a minute and so what i like to what i like to do is calculate the additional pressure and flow that it's going to take so that i can flush and i can also deliver the water to the field so that we're never in a, in a, a place where the uniformity goes down uh, in the field because of low pressure and or the effectiveness of the irrigation is, is significantly less. So and it also gives you um, a perfect flush every time because you have the same pressure because the, the pump provides, seeks the pressure it, that you need in order to make it work. Okay. Some of the other things that we uh, do is, is we want to make sure that we have the, 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 uh, the correct filter size, like how many filters should we have, depends on the water quality and how many gallons a minute are we gonna put through each filter given uh, the water quality issues. And what I just described as the flushing strategy, are we gonna use a pressure sustaining valve or are we gonna provide with a a VFD, which means it'll provide the additional flow and pressure when we need it only. Um, That's my strong recommendation has been with a variable frequency drive. And most people are extremely happy with them when they get them and they understand how they work and and, and how it works for them. Okay, um, strategy for pipe sizing, manifolds. Um, it's completely, what, what drives the design is uh, downstream of the pressure regulating point is distribution uniformity or emission uniformity. Okay, so we have an emission uniformity of a lateral which has and then we have we have a pressure variation allowed to us um, Within the sub main in order to attain that now if we're using pressure compensating um, Product then The pressure regulating point is actually the emitter So that's the critical path is to the most point of that emitter And back to the pump and so we're using economic pipe sizing in order to uh, size So that's our strategy. Um, You'll also notice that it says right here, keep velocities less than five feet per second. Well, why five feet per second? The reason is something called velocity head. And I won't get into the weeds too much here, but um, velocity head and and the, the impact on the irrigation system is trivial below five feet per second. So we don't have to worry about it so much above five feet per second becomes an issue, okay? So,
1: and so Perry, on these manifolds and, uh, and, and your uh, filter systems, um, how do you feel about injecting fertilizer downstream of the filter?
0: You know, I, I've never won that argument so far, uh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, farmers love to inject downstream of the filters because they're afraid to flush the, the, the chemical out and or they're afraid that uh, the filter's somehow gonna keep some of the the uh, keep some of the fertilizer back you know and and uh, I'd say, count yourself lucky if the fertilizers plug up the filter you know by applying it downstream of the filter, it means that i mean my my general uh, um, general thing that I say to people is... If it can't go through your filter it can't go through your system I mean that's what the filters there for right right And we're smart enough to figure out how to shut the uh, shut the fertilizer injector off um, previous to it to it's going to flush you know previous to the, to the flushing event. So we should be able to turn off the fertilizer so we're not flushing fertilizers back into our um, to wherever the flush water goes. If we, uh, if we do that, but now have that being said, most guys like the simplicity of just injecting downstream of the filters. I get it. I I totally get it. Um, And I would say that there's less disasters out there than, than uh, there used to be, you know, but if it were me, I always suggest uh, injecting upstream of the filters, depending on what the product is. Some acids go downstream because if you're injecting a strong acid, they can't go through the the filters. If you're injecting an acid as a water treatment, well, then it can't go upstream of the filters. And there are a few products that are meant not meant to go through a uh, um, a filter. Um, that being said, I still strongly advocate putting the putting the uh, injection upstream upstream of yeah. filters. Excuse me.
1: So another one of those. It's not a deal breaker. You're going to listen to your customer, but
0: yeah, but if, you know, if, it was up
1: to you. It'd be uh, upstream of the filter.
0: Well, you know, I learned I learned that you you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them inject their fil- their their fertilizer upstream of the filter always. And there are times when this when when I'll agree with them. It's not perfectly appropriate, but anyway, be cautioned. You know that if you're doing that, you can you. You could potentially have a disaster okay so um, this is just uh, this is just showing that there are different materials that we can use um, Old hose lay flat here we go there's aqua flat another product that uh, that um, Jane sells and uh, valves and pressure regulation Well, certainly do it when it's when it's appropriate. For instance, if you're using uh, pressure, uh, don't over pressure regulate your system. I mean, because there's always a loss. So if you're using pressure um, compensating emitters, then um, don't put pressure regulation in front of it unless you need to, unless you need to somehow limit the amount of a pressure that goes to elevation there are there are valid reasons to put pressure regulation in front of that but don't do it unless you have to okay because there's a loss in pressure and, a, and efficiency essentially every time you do something like that so use pressure regulating valves when it's appropriate okay okay and there's different and of course there's different strategies whether using inline pressure regulators and uh, there's also a loss of, of, in, with those and there's a cost of uniformity with those as well um and then the last one that was was put in here was uh um, using spaghetti tube um that's generally done in in places at elevation with drip tape it's probably not done that much in california probably done a little bit but not much
1: so we had a question about energy costs again. So back okay. a couple slides, right? Yeah. And uh, since energy costs increase with micro sprinklers, what strategy do you use to offer micro sprinklers versus emitters? I mean, there's lots of people using micro sprinklers, right?
0: Yes, there are. And what what this boils down to is um, the benefits of micro sprinklers. Are using those micro sprinklers worth it to you? There's there's nothing I can do to make it cheaper. You see what I mean? It's gonna cost additional pressure within the system in order to make a micro work versus a, uh, um, a drip line. Right. It just There's just no way to get around it. So it's up to the grower to decide whether or not that cost is, is worth it to him. I mean, there are um, frost benefits. I mean, frost control benefits. There's a lot of uh, um, wetted areas. So, uh, the wetted area is easy to uh, to get with a, a microsprinkler, maybe you can't get it with a drip line. So there are very good reasons to use microsprinklers versus drip line, and but just you have to understand what those costs are. Right. And you have to, to justify those costs to your you have to say, oh yeah, it's worth it to me to do that. Yeah. Okay, that helps a lot. Thank you. Yep. Let's see, let's go back to our air vents. Air vents are probably one of the things that are most misunderstood in, uh, you know, proper installation, um, sizing, and location of air vents is really important. As a general rule, designers are using rule of thumbs, uh, a rule of thumb in order to put these air vents in, and as a general rule, it works beautifully. I mean, those, those rule of thumbs work just just fine, and some of them are listed here. Um, I think of air vents as kind of like safety belts, you know? When you get in a car, if you don't get in an accident, you don't really use that safety belt, but you put it on. And so, um, essentially, you go out to an irrigation system and take off all the air vents, and it might work, you know. Um, but there are going to be times when it's not going to work, or it's, or you're going to um, uh, blow up a line, or, or do something like that. So that's why they're there. So if you get, uh, if you look at your irrigation system, it's got no air vents on it. You, you you it's probably you you potentially have a problem. Okay, and here's one of the problems where, where is uh, back siphoning, and we won't talk too much about this or the cause of it, whatever. But generally, it's elevation, and um, and not a properly designed system. Uh, that's why you have to have air vents on your sub mains um, that will prevent that from happening when at shutdown you can have back siphoning into your into your uh, uh, emission devices, drip tape or uh, hard hose and emitter. So by the way, um, drip tape is a little more forgiving to back siphoning than, than hard hose and emitter because the hard hose and emitter is, has a, a volume that stays there where the uh, drip tape collapses. So it's a little bit more forgiving, drip tape is, by the way. Okay, there's air vents. So proper size and placement and also function. Some air vents take um are able to uh um, continuously acting air vents are able to take air out of a system that's that's under pressure and a large acting um provides vacuum relief and um, uh, on initial startup a lot of vac- a lot of air removal and one of the uh, one of the ones shown here um, does both. Okay. So again, the fertigation—I mean—have a strategy for fertigation. As a general rule, I always advocate putting the putting the uh, fertilizer injector upstream of the of the uh, of the filters and uh, turning it off when we flush. And but you should have ports on both sides in order because there are going to be some materials. That, that can't go through the filters for whatever reason, and also acid injection. And with that, um, I don't know where we are in time, but uh, we can entertain CAP questions.
1: Yeah, that was great, Perry. Thank you very much. A lot of valuable information there, and uh, it will be easy for me to keep in my mind as the 10 steps. So, yeah, we've got about, uh, we've got a few minutes here for some questions, and I know one thing you know that I love about learning is uh, sometimes I learn that I really need to get a professional to help me do things uh, because there's a lot more to it than than I originally understood. So you know if somebody is gonna hire a designer, um, what type of pricing is out there for them? what uh, what What pricing should they be looking for? what What's fair and reasonable? Um, what do you, What do you think about that i 'm sure well, there is you know,
0: the, the, the culture stuff. the culture is is um, you know different parts of the the country for instance, if you go to uh, a Napa Napa was always a, a place where um, they had independent de- designers so the independent designers would design the system, give you a design, and then you could then you would go and and uh, and get and then buy your system from someone else you know and I, I think that 's a good approach because then you're not you're when you get um say two companies uh trying to uh get your business um maybe one design might be cheaper but you start looking at the energy use you know uh the robustness did they did they skimp on the filters etc etc you know the cheapest design obviously isn't always the best design so um and as far as uh, independent designers out there, I think it ranges anywhere from uh, from ten dollars to fifteen dollars an acre for the design. And um, you know that that's just. But as gen, as a general rule, a lot of the uh, um, companies are doing the designs. So you so you, if you're getting a price between two companies, you're getting probably two different designs. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, I'll tell you, if I'm, I'm putting that investment in the field, uh, 10 to 15 bucks an acre is uh, a pretty sound insurance policy, if you ask me. Mm-hmm.
0: And I would say look at the, look at the uh, number of filters, look at the energy use. And uh, I think that more designers should be putting like how much it costs to pump an acre foot of water right on the design. And yeah. I will admit that I haven't always done that as well. So I'm as guilty as anybody but i do like to point that out when i when i say do a system for someone i try to uh, um, provide them with uh, uh, you know the horsepower requirement to flush and provide to the water in the field that's that's what i like that's what that's the way i like to do it i've come up with uh i've won designs and lost i mean i've won jobs and lost jobs with that so so what, uh, what
1: software do you use to design, and, and why do you use that?
0: Um, I'm uh, using ERACAD. Uh, I'm also using uh, length of run calculators from different manufacturers. Uh, one is on the, again, one is right on the Jane uh, website. You can go on there, and then Excel. So I use a, a number of things to design myself. Uh, a lot of the designers probably the the, the culture right now is to use Ircad, which which does what you saw earlier was was done with Ircad. It does a nice job with elevations. There are some limitations to it, but it's I believe it's a, it's probably the best uh, irrigation program out there.
1: Right. Okay. Great. Well, let's talk uh, uh, back flushing for a little bit. Um, okay. How long how long do you recommend to backflush a filter?
0: Um. We generally set it up for about two minutes per backflush. And you're looking at uh, approximately 195 gallons a minute per tank to flush for two minutes. So if you've got, you know, you can, you can figure out how much water you've got to get rid of. And so the other thing that uh, I meant to discuss was, we always ask the question, what are we gonna do with the backflush water? You know? Yeah. And what's that answer? <laughs> It ranges from oh, we've got a pond. We're going to dig a pond. We're going to put it back into the canal, etc. To I don't know. You know, that's yeah.
1: It's just going to go out. Yeah, (laughs) on the ground. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we have a mess. Yeah, and so what? What's the pressure differential requirement for for back flushing?
0: It it, um, like like all irrigation answers it depends Uh, but there's a simple way to calculate it so essentially if you've got more than two filters by the way that's probably the thing that I should have mentioned in this is that we always recommend a minimum of three filters even if you downsize the filters in order to get three filters um, because of the flushing requirement essentially we're asking um, if you have two filters and we're trying to provide the water to the field and flush at the same time, we're asking one filter to provide all the water that the other filter is providing during flushing, plus an additional 195 gallons a minute for the flush water. It's impossible because you'd need a huge amount of pressure to do that. So the way that I like to do it is to calculate Um, how much additional pressure and flow i'm going to need which is the the additional flow is 200 gallons a minute and the additional pressure is as a general rule it comes into about eight to ten eight to twelve psi of additional head pressure during the flushing event and if you don't get that pressure available if you don't have that pressure then you won't get an adequate flush and so it it's 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 like it's like a vicious circle you can't you don't you don't clean the filter every time you flush and so you flush more often right so with a with by eight, being able to provide the additional pressure and flow you need during a flushing event then the field never suffers for lack of water proper water with the proper du and um, you get a perfect flush every time so you're not flushing out the sand or media and you're not not um, cleaning the filter completely during low with low pressure situations so that's why i strongly have uh, uh, recommended uh, variable frequency drives um to accomplish that
1: yeah yeah smart yeah very interesting mm-hmm. too so um we've got another question here and, and the question is what is the critical
0: path in a drip system okay well that tells me i didn't explain it very well no. so, <laughs> <laughs> the critical path is the most distal Uh, a point that we need to have um a certain pressure now now when i say distal point that means distal point hydraulically so it could be if it was on a perfectly flat field it'd be the farthest point from the filter from the from the pump and if it's uh has elevation of the uh um involved in it then it's the place that requires the most pressure to get the water to okay
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. So, and I don't, I don't know that it necessarily means you didn't explain it well. Sometimes uh, <laughs> uh, we don't hear it all that well. So, uh, <laughs> so well. And then we've got to have, this is uh, probably one of my favorite questions of all the uh, lunch and learn so far. So that's a, that's a heads up on this. And somebody wants to know if insects really bite on the tape in the emitter line, is that, uh, is that really an issue? Uh,
0: absolutely. And if you go to uh If you go to the uh, Cal Poly website, ITRC, they have a a, a nice document that shows pictures of all the different things and what what it looks like. But essentially, if you look at drip tape, the way that we determine what happened to the drip tape is you look at it and you ask yourself, was that drip tape moving when that hole got there? If it was moving, there'd be drag lines. Okay. Okay. And the main, when, when, the, when the drip tape is manufactured, it's manufactured in one direction. And when it's paid out in the field, it's, it, it gets paid out in the opposite direction. So, so the, um, we can determine, have a good idea of how to, uh, to, to determine where um, that drip tape was, was compromised by drag lines, in what direction they are, or no drag lines. It was stationary when it was, uh, when the hole was gotten there. And also you'll look at, say, uh, like ants, for instance, they do like a thrashing. And so you'll look at, it'll look like a, it'll look like a little sort of a nest of, of where they chew through it.
1: Yeah. So it's, uh, it's ant management now and not. uh,
0: Well, there's all kinds of different wireworms, et cetera, et cetera. And there's different things that you can do to, to uh, uh, I guess, uh, products you can put in in the, in the tape to protect it, et cetera.
1: Yeah. So, listen, um, Perry, you've done a great job today. Thank you so much. I want to give uh, Kevin Stewart, our uh, Director of Sales at Jane. I know he wanted to um, pass on a few messages uh, before we signed off today. So, uh, Kevin, good afternoon. How are you?
2: I'm good. Thanks, Richard. Hey, Perry. Thank you so much. Uh, great job. We appreciate you. Appreciate your time and effort in uh, uh, putting something like that uh, together. We're always looking for uh, great people to, uh, you know, share their insight. Um, I, I just wanted to take just a quick opportunity. Thank everyone that attended this webinar and uh, as a way to say thank you uh, for anyone that registered uh, for this webinar. So if you gave us your, 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 know, your, your name, your email address. Yeah, phone number, um, we're offering uh, an extra 5% discount on uh, any new orders uh, for Turbo Tape, which is one of our drip tape uh, products. We felt like that was appropriate, given that we're talking about uh, drip irrigation design. And so if you've got a, a, a vegetable crop or row crop uh, where you're looking to use anything from uh, maybe a 5 mil to a, a 10 mil, uh, either in 5 eighths or 7 eighths, um, you know, we've got a special, we're going to run it through the end of this week and, um, it, uh, uh, yeah, just, uh, just go ahead and, and uh, contact me and, uh, we'll, uh, kind of work out the details. So we'll we'll, 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 uh, uh, you know, put a maximum of 528 reels, which is a truckload. And so, yeah, if you're interested, uh, please get with me. Uh, my email, um, is included on here, uh, phone number is included as well so if you want to uh, reach out uh, we can kind of work out the details if you're a grower or an end user um, uh, you know we'll just we'll work that out with your uh, with your dealer and uh, just work out the details so again thank you so much for joining Richard I'll uh, I'll I'll turn it back to you
1: yeah and and thank you Kevin that was a very really generous offer I I know a lot of people will be taking you up on that and uh, yeah contact Kevin to take advantage of that that's a great deal and Harry, again, thank you so much. Uh, you did a great job, a uh, lot of anticipation for this, and you didn't disappoint at all. So thank you. You are great. Uh, <laughs> but I want to remind everybody on Friday, uh, we're going to have a landscape panel. We'll have someone from manufacturing, a contractor, uh, as well as a distributor. On uh, to answer questions about how they're operating business during uh, uh, this COVID-19 situation. Uh, Should be really illuminating, I think, to hear uh, the changes people are making in order to uh, not just uh, stay in business, but actually thrive. And so we've got some good stories on that. So hopefully you'll join us on Friday. Again, Perry, thank you. And and thanks to everybody else for uh, joining us today.
0: Bye now. My pleasure. Thank you.